Welcome to a broadcast of Prisma Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Elliot Rabin, and I am Prisma's Director of Thought Leadership. Today's podcast will explore how Jewish Day Schools have been faring during this tumultuous COVID year. We are fortunate to have with us three savvy long-term observers of the field, one a researcher and two school heads, to consider this question in light of larger developments over time. A warm welcome to Jack Wertheimer, Cheryl Mayan, and Steve Lorch. The participants will discuss the findings in an article co-written by Jack and Alex Bomson titled Jewish Education in the Pandemic, the Surprising Success of, Ju of Day Schools in a Time of Crisis that appeared in Commentary Magazine in January 2021. And now for introductions. Dr. Jack Wertheimer is the Joseph and Martha Mendelssohn Professor of American Jewish History at the Jewish Theological Seminary. His area of specialization is modern Jewish history with a focus on trends in the religious, educational, and organizational sectors of American Jewish life since World War II. He is the author or editor of more than a dozen volumes, including several on Jewish education, and has co-authored a forthcoming book about Jewish day schools. Cheryl Mayan is in her 13th year as head of Sol Meyerowitz Jewish Community School in St. Louis, a school that resulted from a merger of a reform and conservative day school in 2012 and serves as a mentor for the Day School Leadership Training Institute. Dr. Stephen Lorch is in his 42nd year as a head of school, his third at Kadima Day School in Los Angeles. Welcome, Jack, Cheryl, and, and Stephen. Why don't we start with Cheryl and Steve before we get into the details of the article. Why don't you try to give us, in a thumbnail sketch, an overview describing how your schools have managed under COVID so far. Sure, thank you, Elliot. Um, we have been very successful in our ability to provide in-person school this year at Saul Merowitz Jewish Community School. Um, we made it through our first semester without having to quarantine any cohorts. And we just quarantined our first two this winter. Um, and, you know, in, the, uh, in August, just before we opened, um, when public schools had announced that they were not going to open, we fielded 60 inquiries, processed 24 applications and admitted 15 students to the school all at the last minute. Welcome to Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the largest county in the United States with a population of over 10 million um, and a Department of Public Health that is very cautious, um, probably primarily because of the effect size of, of making a misstep. Uh, and so our story is virtually the opposite. Um, we have been closed uh, nearly all the time. Um, we uh, went through the, the spring um, uh, completely remotely. Um, in the fall, uh, we started with our very youngest preschool children in person. Uh, then uh, we're among the first schools in the county to receive a waiver to uh, open our first and second grades, which we did. Um, and now we're uh, waiting and hope hopeful that within a few weeks, we'll be able to open up until uh, sixth grade. Um, we pivoted rapidly to uh, being able to do remote learning, um, uh, learned uh, on the run, and uh, 
uh, we've had reasonable uh, success uh, educationally, uh, but we have taken a hit uh, in terms of enrollment. Enrollment is down about 20% uh, because of families' reluctance to uh, pay a day school tuition, even a, an affordable day school tuition, which ours is, for remote learning. So Jack, now that you've heard Cheryl and Steve's schools, diff very different experiences, relate what they're telling you to the larger trends. Okay, right. So, um, and, and in the process, I'll, I'll talk about this article uh, as well that, that you alluded to at the outset, uh, Elliot. Um, look, what, what, what uh, prompted our writing this article was the confluence of two factors. One of them was the appearance in October of 2020 of the latest of a series of censuses of Jewish day schools that uh, was issued by the now defunct Avichai Foundation. Um, and the latest census carries the story through the academic year 2018-2019. What is striking about that census is, is that while the population of students attending Jewish schools, Jewish day schools, has continued to rise, uh, the population, the numbers of enrollments at uh, schools that are not under orthodox auspices has declined, and for that matter, the number of non-orthodox day schools also has declined. So that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, it, once COVID hit, and especially over the course of the summer, I heard reports from various parts of the country that day schools were of all sorts, but especially non-orthodox ones, were either able to basically stay, remain stable in terms of their enrollment numbers, or uh, as Cheryl mentioned, to, they, they received a large number of inquiries, which eventually resulted in an increase in the numbers of students uh, that they enrolled. So uh, on the one hand, there's the decline. On the other hand, there seems to be something going on during COVID that may portend uh, some shift in the trend that was noted in the various censuses of, of, uh, of Jewish day schools. So then the question was, that struck us was, well, why is it that day schools seem to be doing all right, if not better than all right, and seem to be reversing some of this declining trend? And there, um, there were basically three elements that we felt uh, quite strongly were part of this story. One of them is that the um, academic side of these schools, both in terms of general studies and Jewish studies, has gone through a major transformation over the course of the past 15, 20 years or so. Uh, academics uh, have, have uh, risen in uh, significance in these schools, and these schools have invested a great deal in improving the academics. And, and uh, what needs to be added, by the way, is that among the things that were that have been introduced in day schools are far greater attention to things like blended learning and new curricula that are online, which we felt would also help schools that cannot that could not open during COVID, especially during the spring, but still could attract uh, students or keep their attention. Put it that way. Second of all. The, the enormous investment that day schools have been making in terms of personnel and resources of all kinds in paying, uh, in attending to each individual student, attending to social and emotional learning of these students. And again, we can go into detail about what that means. 
And that is something that is attractive to parents uh, because we heard that from parents when we interviewed parents. And last of all, the schools uh, have been refashioning themselves as communities, uh, which means that they are not only reaching out to their student body, but also to their parent body and extended family, grandparents, for example. And all of that, uh, that mix, together, the, the, the mixture of these, we felt uh, played a role in why these schools were able to adapt relatively quickly, adapt to online learning, uh, but also uh, convey or rather rather inspire in parents um, a sense of confidence that these schools are on top of the crisis and are going to be handling the COVID crisis well. Um, so I, I, um, I'll start with, uh, uh, with agreement. Um, I agree that um, the Jewish day schools that I know uh, were better positioned to transition to remote learning because of their experience with technology, with blended learning, with a variety of um, methods of infusing technology into the day-to-day -day life, uh, educational life of teachers and students. Uh, that made uh, the, the possibility of remote learning um, not too daunting even to consider. Um, as far as the a transformation of academics, social emotional learning and community. I have a, a professional memory that, that uh, dates back over 40 years. These are transformations that began to play, take place uh, in general education also over the past few years. So social emotional learning, uh, I don't think was on the radar of the public schools or independent schools to any great degree um, 25 years ago. Uh, and so as Jewish day schools have mirrored and mimicked general education, that's become uh, more of a uh, presence in, in, in day schools as well. Uh, the, the transformation that you describe in the article uh, in academics um, not necessarily a greater emphasis on academics uh, or a greater uh, valuing of academic excellence. I think that's always been there, um, but a, a movement toward uh, uh, student-centered learning, uh, that's also something that has, in, ha has become uh, an increasing value in general education that transformation had uh, began taking place uh, about 35 years ago um, and has uh, uh, you know uh, gained uh, momentum uh, since that so so when we see uh, jewish day schools that are uh, increasingly orienting uh, their academics towards project-based learning uh, and um, exhibitions and and students students active participation in in, in classroom we're, we're seeing th that trend um, that again mimics the trend in general education possibly with a 5 10 15 year lag Cheryl what what were your what's your take on on Jack's uh, premises I thought the uh, that his premises really rang true for me I mean and I'd even take it a step further. I think 
you know, I often joke that we're a bunch of Jewish parents running Jewish schools. And as Jewish parents, culturally, we want the best for our kids, nothing less than the best. They deserve the best math program. They deserve the best teachers, the best um, culture and environment for their childhood experience, the most meaningful Judaism. So um, we have a culture among our faculties and our, you know, our, our, our staff, our are the milieu of the school in which we are seeking professional excellence and we are learners. You know, every teacher is driven to learn because of this and what, what Jack and Alex are talking about in the article, we have this culture of learning. So when we were told one day that in 24 hours we were to go remote and not a single one of us had ever done so much as a webinar on online learning, we figured it out, right? Because of that culture of learning and that, that seeking of excellence. And I would take it even to the next level that it's because we're mission driven. We believe in what we're doing and educators are not in this for the billions of dollars we make. We're in this because we really believe in it in our heart and soul. And so we're willing to figure it out um, when, when we face a challenge and we're willing to give it you know, give it that extra to give the children the experience that they need. And we know that that experience includes the things that they, they're talking about in the article. It's not just the academics, it's the social emotional learning. These kids, we are so in tune with um, their need to be with other kids and to process the trauma they experienced with the shutdown, um, with the isolation and with the loss of community um, and, you know, as schools this semester, we've been in person, not everyone has been so lucky, but uh, it's either way, community has been a real struggle. We can have that sense of community within our class cohorts, but we don't even come together in the same room for blah with one other classroom. We don't even go on the playground with one other classroom. So the, cl the community has gotten smaller, even for those of us who have in-person school and for the parent community, the grandparent community, they've never felt so, so isolated from that experience. And we've been creative, but it's not the same. I'd love to respond to, to both observations, which are very valuable. I very much appreciate what you said, Steve. Um, you provided the, the, uh, the broader um, educational context uh, for what I was describing. And I certainly didn't mean to convey that day schools invented um, student-centered education or child-centered education or project-based learning or things of that sort. The point uh, uh, that, that we were trying to make in the article is, and here I, I remind you of the very beginning of the article where we talk about the two major critiques that have been leveled against Jewish day schools over the course of the long period of time that you described, going back well into the middle of the 20th century, namely that these schools can't possibly um, be as academically rigorous and comprehensive given the fact that they have a dual curriculum, right? And so the point that, that we were trying to make was that these schools have worked to, in, to draw upon the riches uh, in that uh, from the larger educational world, and by that, by the way, I'm I'm including things like curricula, uh, online resources, various types of uh, tests for assessment, uh, all which come from the outside, and they have been able to benefit, and thereby, 
they have been able to allay the concerns of parents that that oh our children are not going to suffer because in terms of their general education because there's a dual curriculum uh cheryl i'm very uh, pleased also that you raised this whole point of uh, day schools as mission uh, driven uh, institutions the mission is of course a c complex mission if you look at day school uh, mission statements uh they they tend to have seven points ten points it's not a a, a single item um, but part of that of that mission clearly is focusing heavily upon uh, each individual child and attending to that child and not letting children fall between the cracks. And here I will say parenthetically that based upon my experience as a student in Jewish day schools way back in the 14th century, as well as my experience as the father of two sons who attended day schools through high school and graduated, uh, from them. Uh, the day schools that I attended, and that my sons attended, were really not nearly as attuned to individual students as are many day schools today. And I don't want to pretend that every day school uh, excels at that. But, but what was striking to us was how many, in fact, did that. And then the other point about community, uh, which I hear what you're saying, Cheryl, about the difficulty of trying to replicate under the current circumstances the kind of community outreach that day schools were doing prior to COVID, in the years prior to COVID. But that having been said, I still hear a lot about schools that have Kabbalat Shabbat service that have Habdallah services uh, and provide opportunities. Now Purim is coming and they provide opportunities for the school community to come together, even if it is only virtually, and trying very hard to, to, hold, uh, to hold the community together. Jack, I want to go back to your observations of the changes that have gone on in day schools over the long haul. And could you talk about some of the factors that have caused, uh, brought about those changes that have, that, that set day schools up to the extent they could for the success that you're seeing during this time? Right. So, uh, look, I, I, I think that one of the major factors are parents and, and parental expectations. Uh, we're living uh, at a time when uh, the parent body at day schools is much more sophisticated and it pays much more attention to what's going on uh, in classes. And my goodness, during COVID, <laughs> the extent to which parents are actually watching the classes on Zoom, which is a, I'm mixing metaphors here, but this is a dual-edged sword, right? On the one hand, they're paying attention and they're uh, presumably trying to help their, their children to focus. But on the other hand, uh, sometimes what they're seeing uh, ought not to be seen by parents. Uh, this is, you know, part of how the sausage is being made. I, I was told one story uh, about um, the head of school who called a, uh, a parent because a student was having trouble in a class. It may not have been head of school, it may have been a teacher. And the response of the parent was, you think my kid is having trouble. You know, I see what the other kids are doing in that classroom, right? But I also don't want to underestimate something that, that Steve was very much involved with, and that is the kinds of programs that have been introduced to ratchet up the leadership ability and skills of day school 
uh, educators and especially of uh, the top administrators of day schools. Those types of leadership programs, often run, I should say, uh, by the Abichai Foundation, have played an important part or role in upgrading the quality of administration and also the, their thinking uh, uh, about about the questions. Um, and then uh, the third element I would add is is goes back to Steve's comment, and that is the, the wider, the broader in educational environment where there are different expectations today. Uh, much more attention is being paid to a whole series of, of items that in the past really fell fell through the cracks. Frankly, I think that the article really hit on some important issues in that um, our parents wouldn't be paying for Jewish day school if we weren't excellent schools. If we didn't provide the best in general studies, they're not willing to sacrifice that aspect. Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I want to uh, give Cheryl her credit as uh, a member of the faculty of, of one of those leadership training programs for, for day school leaders. But I, I, as far as the, the um, parent involvement, um, I have to say uh, that thinking back to my first year as a head of school, um, parents were drivers of the call for educational excellence then as well. That's, it's, it's not something new in day schools. Fast forwarding to, to now, um, my admissions director likes, likes to say, yes, parents are in the classroom, but the school is able this year in a way that hasn't been able to in the past control the message. We don't have parents dropping into school, wandering the halls to drop something off to their child, um, eavesdropping and, and um, saying, uh, you don't know that I was, but here's what happens in your school. That doesn't happen. Um, so we find that we are actually, to a greater extent than before, on the same page with our parents uh, because we know exactly what they're looking into, and they have the opportunity to understand the challenges that teachers face in the day-to-day -day, um, interaction with children, uh, delivery of, of instruction, uh, reinforcement, and so on, that uh, was up until this year a black box tour. You looked at uh, a range of schools, but it seems like there's something particular um, that you found that enabled non-Orthodox schools during this period, especially in ones that are in smaller Jewish communities to thrive in a way they haven't been able to for years. What do you per perhaps attribute that to? So I, I, I wouldn't quite put it the, the way you just did. What we were driving at more was that day schools are getting a second look from parents who in the past would not have done so. Orthodox parents generally, uh, overwhelmingly, send their children to Jewish day schools. Uh, and if they don't, it's usually because of some learning uh, uh, disabilities that their children have, and therefore they need to be placed in, in special schools. Uh, so we're talking here about people who are not prepared to send their children to Orthodox day schools, and they're the ones who, are take, who have uh, taken a second look uh, at, at day schools. They've been hearing you know, the word on the street, and just take the example of what Cheryl described to us, the numbers of inquiries that, that Cheryl's school received, and her school is not unique in that regard. Now, 
let's put our cards on the table uh, and be blunt about the, the fact that those schools that were able to open, have been able to open, clearly are seen as much more attractive. Parents are desperate to get their kids out of the house, out of their hair. But in fairness also, they, they want their kids to, to be in a much healthier environment than sitting at home all, all the time. So when they heard that, that already during the spring, even if schools that, that could not open, and they did not in the spring, that they were doing relatively well in uh, keeping the students focused, uh, providing an opportunity for the students to interact with each other, providing some sense of community. Some parents paid attention to what they were hearing from their friends. And, you know, this is a word of mouth story. And, and, that's, uh, and that's what attracted them. And they were parents who then uh, submitted their enrollment applications. Now, in many cases, they didn't follow through. That's clear. Clearly, just given the numbers that Cheryl gave us, I hear the same thing in other places. But I also must tell you that I've heard of schools that felt that students were not mission appropriate, that the parents basically were looking for any place where they could they could park their kids uh, that would provide some reasonable general studies education. And uh, schools were more selective in, in deciding which, which children would be admitted and which would not be admitted, uh, which comes to the, the final issue. And that is, we thought that this is an opportunity to bring this to the wider to the wider American Jewish audience to understand that there is a treasure which exists in Jewish communities and it ought to be treated as such. And one last anecdote I will tell you in this regard. One of the schools that we studied, intentionally so, we wanted to include a, uh, a school that was the only day school in its community because there are many such schools. And what was striking to us was that this is before COVID, when we visited the community, visited the school, interviewed uh, members of the community, the head of the federation, what we were told uh, was, we understand that this is an asset in our community. Uh, this attracts some family, Jewish families. Even if we personally don't want to send our own children to this school, we feel a responsibility to support it because it is an asset for Jewish life in our community. And that's a message that needs to be broadcast in the wider community. And that, in our small way, that's what we were trying to do with this article. Well, just to that last point, it's very true in St. Louis. We, we are not the only day school, but we are the only pluralistic community school. And um, we do have um, donors who support us, not because they care about Jewish day school, but because they care about St. Louis being an attractive city to families who might move here and work in the various businesses and universities in our community. And um, that rings true. Um, you also mentioned something about how you mentioned something about learning needs earlier that I think it's important to address. and. I think it's really important that um, Jewish day schools are addressing um, and including students who have learning needs. We're doing our best to do that here. And I know a lot of day schools are doing that as well. And um, I feel like it's something that we need to be pushing forward. Um, in this pandemic, the students who've had the hardest time are the ones who need learning support. We've been able to provide so much less than they're used to even. Um, and uh, 
we need to somehow make up for lost time. And I do think it's the responsibility of the greater Jewish community to take care of those kids. In terms of the um, demographics, the, demo, the, the, the demographic impact of, of uh, COVID uh, on Jewish day schools, I'd like to widen the lens a little bit. Um, and say that there are schools at the opposite end of the spectrum uh, that have put, been put under great stress um, by uh, this pandemic. Um, one of the schools in Los Angeles has already announced that it is closing at the end of this year. Uh, the uh, Los Angeles Federation uh, has is bringing in a um, consultant to meet with schools to discuss the possibility of mergers to prevent additional schools from simply closing, but rather to have a planned way in which uh, the, the uh, population of schools can contract while continuing to do the best job we can uh, to serve the, uh, the Jewish families uh, in, in our catchment area. So yes, there are certainly communities uh, in which uh, the pandemic has, has offered an opportunity for uh, sort of shining successes and enrollment increases and uh, a, a shot in the arm and a, and a, and a breath of life. Uh, and there are other communities uh, in which uh, the uh, same conditions, the same pandemic, the same uh, need to move remote, the need to, uh, to pivot quickly, et cetera, has had the absence. So um, tell, tell us a little bit about how your work has shifted, to what degree you've been able to shift responsibilities and people have been able to step up to help you and have you hopefully been able to keep a certain amount, feel a certain amount of resilience and optimism during this very difficult time. Okay, so the, the year has been an absolute tornado. Reopening school, um, I haven't faced a challenge that big since we merged in 2012. Um, and uh, truthfully, everyone's under stress and it's existential stress. Um, we didn't know what the right thing to do was. Making dis good decisions was impossible because there was no guidebook. And um, information was easy to be found and misinformation was e also. And um, I think that people don't behave at their, as their best selves. They don't behave rationally when they're under so much stress. And my biggest challenge as a leader has been showing up every day, taken care of and ready to manage other people's big emotions. Uh, teachers, parents, staff, even senior administrators, and my own, you know, we're, we're all under a lot of stress. And so I think that's uh, being conscious of my role as a leader um, has really helped me get through this and nourishing my own reflection on my leadership has been important. I work with a coach. Um, I have been so appreciative of my networks I, it, in ways that I, I really didn't realize I would need them, my professional networks with, um, I sit on the board of the independent schools of St. Louis. So I have local colleagues, uh, the day school leadership training Institute um, network has been critical. Prisma, NAIS, 
um, I have been able to um, access uh, professional resources and ask questions to smart people um, in ways that I never really realized I needed to. And I've also become a Brene Brown junkie. It's helped me. She's helped me get through. Well, I would say that I was initially surprised and I'd say thrown a little off my game because it had been a long time since I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. Then I quickly pivoted to becoming the student again, um, which is a role that I hadn't been in in a while. Um, and in my student role, uh, the, uh, the, the maxim that I follow is So um, uh, my rab was I, I needed to look for a COVID guru who knew um, uh, as much as I could ever hope to find out. And I found that um, in a webinar that I joined about two weeks into uh, the pandemic. Uh, Jaffe Emergency Services is a sort of local uh, LA-based uh, uh, company that, that provides various things to schools, and uh, the popularity of that actually grew uh, exponentially over time, and there are, uh, there are schools all around the world now that are uh, uh, listening into that webinar, but I have stayed sort of consistent in, in listening to, to Chris Jaffe and uh, letting him uh, teach me what I need to know. Uh, and the Kamele Chachaver part of it is similar to Cheryl's story about, about networking with my uh, CAIS, California Association of Independent School Tools uh, colleagues and my Prisma colleagues. Um, and we just uh, crowdsource the support that we need and, and the solutions that others have found that uh, we don't have to reinvent them. If we can get the pandemic under control, a big if, but uh, hopefully we'll get there soon. How do you see your school as different from the school it was two years earlier? Um, there are a couple of, of learnings that, that we have uh, from our experience here that we're sort of asking ourselves, why did it take this to, to teach us? So for example, students who aren't able to attend school in person, why can't they zoom in as they have this year when we're in person and, and uh, students are unable to attend either quarantined or home or, or whatever. Um, and similarly, um, we've come to the um, striking realization that not every meeting needs to take place in person. Um, we can give people the commute off and allow some meetings to take, take place virtually and uh, the, the, the world is not going to collapse around us because we're not all sitting in, the, uh, uh, in that same library or conference room. Oh, I wish I had that crystal, crystal ball. I have to tell you, I've been thinking about this question a lot. What is the school gonna look like um, next year? And I don't think it's going to be entirely back to normal. I, I think it's it's no small thing that we've all experienced trauma. I think it's no small thing that we are very conscious of the spread of germs. I think that those things are going to impact us. We used to talk about, we, we're big huggers here at Mirowitz. <laughs> you know, we used to say, we can't wait till I can hug you again. I don't know if everyone's going to feel that way. Um, I, I think that 
you know, there have been some real positives in terms of technology. We have learned that we can do some online meetings and it, it, people are, are more likely to show up for meetings if they can zoom in. Um, I think we've learned about just similar to Steve that um, if a student is, has an illness and they have to be out for, of school for a while, that we can still um, find ways for them to participate. Um, in our community, we found ways to engage grandparents from far away. That's always been sort of a challenge. The kids who have grandparents who live out of town have always felt left out when we have grandparent events. Now, we've had more grandparents from Israel, from South Africa participating in our um, grandparent events and engaged. So I think there are some real positives that come from learning about technology. But overall, we've just learned that um, change is okay. You know, we're not all gonna fall apart um, with change. I mean, we really couldn't imagine the kind of changes we've experienced and one after the other, we've managed to adjust and, um, I think the teachers will be the happiest people in the world when we, um, when this pandemic is behind us. This has been the hardest for them. I want to raise two issues, and I, I hate to do this at the, toward the end of our discussion because they are not so uplifting, but I need to be candid uh, that I'm worried about two things. One of them is we don't know what kind of impact uh, this year or more, it's going to be more than a year, will have on the psychological, emotional health uh, of students and how that's going to play out. Uh, and so I suspect that, that SEL will rise in significance even more. Uh, more attention will have to be paid to it. But that's something that schools are certainly going to have to focus on. And the second item it has to do with, with learning. I don't believe that Zoom learning is as effective uh, as is in-classroom learning. I think that students have lost out. And it's not only the Zoom, it's also the, the instability. Uh, and even those schools that were open, some of them were open a couple of days a week for in-person, and then the other days the kids were at home. Uh, all of that tumult may well have had an impact upon what students absorbed over the course of this past year and it'll be another half year easily um, so that schools are going to have to rethink well what are our expectations of our graduates what where, where do we where would we like to see them when they graduate from our, our schools those i think are going to be challenges facing the schools on a more upbeat note and to return now to to what, what both Cheryl and Steve have talked about, and that is uh, we've seen a remarkable ad, uh, ad adaptability on the part of, of day schools. Cheryl, a moment ago, said that, that what we've learned is that change is not necessarily bad, and so I've got confidence that day schools will adapt to those new circumstances. And on the final note here, I, I also want to acknowledge um, the heroic efforts that Steve and Cheryl and so many other heads of schools have demonstrated during the course of, of this crisis. And, and I, I don't think we should underestimate that. Thank you, Cheryl, Steve, and Jack for a frank and inspiring discussion of day school leadership during the COVID crisis. If you'd like to continue the conversation with any of our guests today, please contact me, Elliot Raven, at elliotr at prisma.org. You can follow our podcast by searching for Prisma on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Play, and Stitcher. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at www.prisma.org. Follow us on social media at Prisma CJES for all things Prisma and the Day School Network. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.